Aloha, friends. This second season of the Voyagers podcast was sponsored by Jonathan Yudis, realtor and real estate advisor at Maui Dream Properties. On this last episode, I wanted to just say mahalo nui loa to Jonathan and his team for the support and for sharing this wonderful island with their customers. And just one more reminder for you, our listeners, if you're thinking about moving to the most beautiful island in the world, Maui, Hawaii, you'll want to go to MauiDreamProperties.com and drop Jonathan a note of hello. Whether buying, selling, or investing, Jonathan will help you navigate the real estate market on Maui because without exception, he serves his clients with passion, enthusiasm, and excellence. You can trust him to put you and your family's needs first. Check out MauiDreamProperties.com and drop Jonathan hello and get started on making your dream a reality. I'm David Glenn Taylor, and this is the Voyagers Podcast. On this, the last episode of Season 2, I want to introduce you to a remarkable person who has had an incredible influence on my life. While most of us can easily point out the people who have inspired them, the writers, the filmmakers, the storytellers who have shown them something or pointed out a thing worth understanding, not many of us get a chance to sit down with that person and just ask questions. In a way, the conversation you're going to hear today is the reason I started this podcast. But first, let me introduce him. Rob Bell is a best-selling author, speaker, filmmaker, and teacher. He has traveled the world teaching about God and spirit and creativity and consciousness. His book, Love Wins, was a New York Times number one bestseller. His books have sold millions. He's spoken to millions. And his podcast, The Robcast, reaches huge audiences. But for me, this connection is really personal. One of my best friends was in a band in college with Rob. That's Theo, and we'll be hearing some of his music during the episode. And Rob has also been a mentor for my twin brother as he set out on his own writing journey. And I've literally read every book Rob has written. So over the pandemic, I decided I wanted to finally meet and talk to Rob. And I thought a podcast would be a great way to do that, so my brother reached out and asked him, and Rob said, I'll be guest number 25. Which motivated me to make this show a real thing, which I think was the point. And in making this show, I have learned so much. Not only in how do you make and distribute a podcast, but the guests I've had on from all walks of life, they've expanded my world in countless real ways. Making these 25 episodes has been one of the best things I've ever done. It's been hard. It's a ton of work. And I do do the whole thing on my own, but I love it. And I owe that to Rob. So this conversation is part fanboy. I'll admit that. Part creative talk especially regarding book cover design, which is a thing for me and turns out for Rob too. And part me just needing some advice from a very wise and very kind man. At that, I present to you the final episode of season two of The Voyagers, a conversation with author and speaker Rob Bell. Enjoy. It's really weird and nice to meet you. Finally, after years and years of knowing you secondhand through Theo and Seth, I have a story I want to I want to tell you first, and then I have oh. I have three sets of questions. We're gonna we're gonna call them 
questions about creativity, what we could call fanboy questions. Okay. And then I do have a pastor question that I need to ask. Is that cool? Well, we'll have to find you a pastor at some point. Uh, <laughs> Liz, Liz Gilbert calls you Pastor Rob, so we're going to go there. We're going to just, just, it's an important one. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, fire away. Okay, good, good. I've been following your stuff for a long time, but how it, how it happened was I was working with Theo, right? Theo and I had a little graphic design firm when I lived in Gallup, New Mexico. And we just- Cliff Engine. Wow, you knew it. <laughs> it's a great name, right? Yeah, it's a great name. Yeah, I'm sure Theo told you how we came up with that. And we had his little, his his old pickup truck was our logo and everything. And we would sit down there in the basement and he would always, you know, I remember when he went up to Mars Hill and led worship at your church. And, and then he came back and he was telling me stories about that whole thing. I was going through some real personal stuff. I was a pretty strict evangelical Christian at the time, and I, but I was working through a lot of depression and things. And he kept trying to get me to read Velvet Elvis. But I was also a graphic designer who was freshly out of, out of art school. And I was not into the minimalist design of your cover, the, the original white cover. And I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this, this design, this cover design. <laughs> Because I was still using papyrus for just about every design that I did and was in kind of a, a, I don't know, a jumbled phase, you know? And so I didn't read it. But it was weird because four years later, you know, my wife and I, we decided to move back to Alaska. I was kind of in the pit of despair at the time. And I'm walking through a Barnes and Noble and there's a table and I see this picture on this cover of a book and it's someone that looks like they're falling, like in the dark. And I just stopped immediately and I was like, that's me. That's, that's that's me. And I walked over to it and it was the same book. And I was a little shocked by that. And I was like, oh, I literally called Theo right there. And I go, all right, I'm going to read that Velvet Elvis book. And he was like, oh, good. He goes, that, that you really, it would be helpful. And I was like, great. And it actually like kind of became a catalyst as it has for so many people that kind of a catalyst for me, kind of what we call waking up and moving into kind of a deeper spiritual space and healing and it's been an amazing journey, you know, since then. So that was my story. I just wanted to tell you because I got you in front of me. So there you go. <laughs> so, okay. First of all, fanboy questions. Does anyone in your family call you Bob or Robert? No. None. Never caught on. No. Nope. Even when you were a kid? No aunties? Never. No kidding. Okay. Okay. Second, when did you get out of your minimalist cover phase? Because I noticed a shift in after you had the Zondervan books all tended to be pretty minimalist in terms of the design. When did you go out of kind of minimalism and why? My fifth book, I was with a new publisher, Harper One. Right. And Harper One does like Thich Nhat Hanh, Dalai Lama, Johnny Cash, Bishop Tutu. I mean, right. they're like, um, they do all the C.S. Lewis. And they were the ones who were like, no, this. <laughs> and the book was called, my first book with them was called Love Wins. And they were very focused and intent on a particular look and it was like a whole new ball game with them you know what I mean sure. it was like a whole yeah. new era. and they were like and that whole thing their machine was very tightly focused on the New York Times bestseller list and all that so the yeah. graph so so they're sort of like super minimalist they were like come on son um, <laughs> I mean, respectfully but they were like yeah. um, we're competing on the table at Barnes and Noble on this one right Right. So like all, all your art house sensibilities are nice, but, um, <laughs> and then a follow-up to that was a book called what we talk about. We talk about God. And that mm. was, uh, very influenced by a lot of mid-century graphics sort of, it has like triangles, I think it was. Triangles. Yeah. I remember that one was, it was. Yeah. Intense. So also in the beginning, my friend was designing the book covers and we were basically just like, this is the book cover. Right. But then the next evolution was you moved into a, publishing world that had way more data and right. it was way more like no we know what we're doing here so, right. so and I was very much which is all going I mean if you can ask questions about creativity 
at different stages, you're in different postures. Right. Like, okay, right. I'm okay. I'm new into this space. There's like conventional. Okay. How's conventional wisdom work in this space? What are the rules? Oh, okay. Right. Now we're going to break them. Oh, what are they? Okay. Let's follow them and see what, almost like, sure. okay, I'll do it your way. Let's learn. Let's see how this works. And you can even see that in the book covers. Sometimes they're like, no, it's gotta be plain white without a thing. And then other times it's like, yeah, fine, go, whatever. Great. Right. Right. So is that, was that hard for you to go from Zondervan where you get to kind of call some of those shots and then have all these inputs coming in? I have always struggled because I know exactly how I want it. And then you partner with great people and you consciously choose to align yourself and then, oh, okay, well, let's try it that way. Right. So it's, it's so, so honestly, David, it's holding it really tightly and holding it loosely and this sort of endless. So there's no template. There's no rule. It's just what are we doing in this moment? Sure. What does it feel like in this moment? Like a friend of mine is a great designer and he starting this year, he's been saying to me for about a year, like, dude, your roots are like punk rock. Your yeah. visual stuff needs to be like way more your, who you actually are. Right. So he started making all these designs for me. So starting this year, my Robcast podcast, he's done a visual for each episode. Oh, and no kidding. then I have this new band and he's doing all the graphics for the band. And it's just like, he's like, forget that really super clean German. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yep, he's yep. like, that's not what you No, Your stuff is like, just plug that thing into an amp. Let's go. Oh, so that is so um, fantastic to hear because I've been waiting for that. Like with your with your stuff, I've been waiting for which you the the Jackson Pollock phase of explosion. Yeah, and, and like this is the kind like. of stuff he's doing for my new band's logo. Oh, nice. Like, I mean, what's that? Pink? Humans on the it's floor like, is that the name of the band? The band's called Humans on the Floor. Here's one he did that I will probably be our second EP comes out in a couple of weeks. This is one he did. Oh, that's the, that's great. That's yeah, fantastic. so he's just injecting. Then he did some stuff with like knuckles with my name tattooed on knuckles. Um, <laughs> But here's what he did for my son and I have some, my son, Trace and I do something called the Saturday school. Yeah. He's like just doing these yellow. That's fantastic. It's very New York it. subway poster kind of stuff. And yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, and then I do, I do a writing class and he did that, which I love. Oh, that's fantastic. Writing. Yeah. So yeah. yes. Um, I'm so glad to hear that you have thought that because that's what's happening to me. <laughs> book cover design is my favorite thing. And I'm always, whenever I would get like a new, a new book would come out. I think my thing I was waiting for was the title because I, I know you're into titles and you like titling yeah. things. And I, and I also though, just the design, I really, I was like, I'm really curious. And when, when you, when you did go to Harper one and I went, and I was curious about how much say you had in it still, or if you were just having to kind of let go of that kind of thing. So. Well then my latest book is called everything is spiritual. And that's a publisher called St. Martin's. And there's a wonderful designer there named Olga. Cause I was like, Oh, I want, I, I'll, I'll have my designer do the cover. And they were like, no, we, <laughs> we do the cover. And it's like, Oh, great. <laughs> but then they introduced me to Olga, shout out to Olga, who got her start doing punk rock album covers. Oh, perfect. And like, literally, I'm sure, as you know, this 30 seconds of talking with Olga and I was like, oh, I'm in good hands. Oh, that's fantastic. I but yeah, it. this is, yeah. this stuff matters to, well, this is why I like talking <laughs> to you already. This stuff matters to me so much. <laughs> I figured, I figured. It matters. It's good. Yeah. Oh, God. Even talking about it just drags up all sorts of stuff. No, man. I, I have a good friend of mine who was actually on the podcast. He's a filmmaker here on the island. And he did a he did a kind of a local film called Aloha Surf Hotel. And it was just a total local comedy. Like if you were if you live on the island, you go see it. It was hilarious. It was and it was really funny. And and I had talked with him and he said, Hey, do you think you could do the poster for the movie? And I 
man, watching the way just each little piece, he had an idea, he had an idea. And, you know, and that collaboration, I've been doing it long enough that I understand the iterative process and how that works. And, but it is interesting to watch the people who are so emotionally invested in it. It's, it's a form of torture a little bit. And, you know, my, I always thought that my job as a designer, part of it was yes, doing the design, but also it was helping them work through that, you know, to, oh, right. to kind of, you know, to kind of get right, right, right. Yeah. And what's interesting about Brent, who I'm working with now, is he'll literally send me seven of the same thing. Which one do you like? Uh, and which is how I work. Because yeah. yeah. anything I'm doing, I made way more than anybody's going to hear or see or read. Sure. Sure. And I think that has been wonderful because he sends, he just, I don't, he just generates so much that I'm like, okay, I like that one, that one, and that one. Right. Um, which I actually are helping me realize that's why it's working so well is because sure. he works how I work, which is right. we're going to throw a ton of things against the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. For designers, that's an expensive process when you're having to do, you know, kind of that much. I, re- I, le- I yeah. saw in my career that a lot of clients would end up just kind of, I'm just going to show you one or two things because if I show you too much, you're not going to know how to choose. But there are certain clients that go, no, no, I know what I want. I want to be, I want to just do like you're talking about, just kind of go. And I'd go, well, that's going to take, you know, more time, a little more money. And they're like, that's fine. Let's just, just as long as we get yeah. what we want. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> well, listen, a couple more fanboy questions. Then I want to come back to creativity because you've okay. kind of made a career now out of teaching creativity as a, as a form, almost a spiritual practice. So you once bragged about your wife's homemade salsa in a video. This was years ago. Was oh, did I? That sounds familiar. You did. How is it going with the salsa? Has it gotten better or is it the same or, or has it declined? Especially as you move out to California. Made, I don't think she's made her salsa in a long time. I have made a ton of salsa. You're the, you turned into the salsa maker. I turned into the salsa maker and I love it, but my kids don't. And they're like, dad, we just don't. It's aesthetically not pleasing to us. <laughs> Aesthetics so important with salsa, man. If salsa is being made, my kids are like, we don't like it. It's gross. Get it out of here. Like, <laughs> oh. You were a little camp down on the salsa front, <laughs> dude. You were effusive about the salsa, about your wife's salsa. Oh, I was just kind of wondering how that, that was going. Salsa, I actually just watched her make it enough that I can do a rough approximation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So right. yeah, it makes right. me happy. <laughs> <laughs> just ask Kristen. Hey, say hey. Dave was asking about your salsa. Maybe we need to readdress the aesthetic portion of my salsa making. Yeah. Who do you have in the finals tonight? You got Baylor or Gonzaga? Uh, I, and are you a UCLA fan now that you live out in LA? You're not, are you? My son graduated from UCLA. Right. I know. I knew this. Oh, and- I mean, we went to a game two years ago, old coach. I think it was the last Alford game. Yeah. That team was a dumpster fire. <laughs> they lost to Liberty. Oh, they got stunk out of the gym by Liberty. And two years later, they make that run. Yeah. I was just so struck with the coaching, the system. Yeah. I mean, we know this more and more. Like, in, uh, I follow a lot of Premier League soccer, like the manager. Sure. Like, that coach came in and in two years cleaned house. I don't recognize one player, right. this run they just made from, isn't that just astounding? Yeah, it's amazing. You can come yeah. into a program yeah. that is just on its hands and knees and go, oh, yeah, yeah, in two years, we will take a historic Gonzaga team all the way to the wire. Yeah. I have. I would. I would say Gonzaga tonight, just because. Right. I think that Suggs. The first time I saw him in the tournament, I was like, "Wait, 
because I haven't been following college basketball, but I'm sure you know, see that player and you're like, everybody knows about this guy, right? Like this right. guy is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I was and he's going to be a ball. fantastic NBA player. His game is so just so into that. I mean, he's with the space that you get in the NBA and the defensive roles. I mean, he's going to oh. just take guys to the hole so he fast. He did something in the first one of the games, like one of the early rounds. I just was flipping among the games and was yeah. like, he did something that was like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> just that stuff that you're, oh, so great. So yeah, that's my guess would be Gonzaga by a few. And that Timmy, what a bizarre, <laughs> there's always that guy in there. Yeah, he reminds there's me always- of Brian Reeves, Big Country. I don't know if you remember Big Country from back in the day. In sure, Oklahoma I State. Yeah. yeah, actually, I saw that team against the UCLA, the Bannon brothers. Oh, Bannon brothers in the, in the UCLA. I actually went and watched them practice when they were in the Final Four in the Kingdome back in Seattle <laughs> back in the day. That was a long time ago. Sports um, is awesome, isn't it? Dating I myself absolutely love I absolutely love following sports yeah it's fantastic man uh, who's your premier league team who do you follow anytime i go to england they're all like but who do you support but like right. who do you support it's like, important yeah LA FC. it's important i was like and then i'll do my usual thing like i just did with you this nonsense about well i really like Klopp, and i think pep is interesting <laughs> and, and they're always like that's not good enough so a guy comes up to me after a show in england and he says dude you need to have a team and <laughs> He gives me is it Bolton? Like yeah, a Bolton. Third yeah. Division. Yeah. He gives They're... me a Bolton jersey, which <laughs> I have to this day. So when I now when I speak in England, I always say now I know the question is who do I support, and I just say obviously Bolton. <laughs> just slays the place. Bolton man, Wanda called the Wanderers. That's that's fitting, man. You can just be the Wanderer. You're just traveling. Okay, last fanboy question. Uh, you toured with Oprah. I, I just want to. I want to know what it was like in the green room when you're sitting there and you've got Deepak Chopra and Elizabeth Gilbert and Oprah and all these luminaries um, <laughs> hanging out. I, I'm assuming you talk about salsa and other brilliant things, but like, what was that like for you? Deepak, I stays in Deepak mode. The universe is itself witnessing consciousness through the manifestation of multiple pure awareness. Right. 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 And I right away was like, I'm going to break this guy. <laughs> I'm going to crack I'm, this guy, this guy, this guy that the clock is ticking, pal. Right. So I made it my mission over the course of the tour. I'm going to get him to, to take off the Deepak thing and show me like, so I just would just kept asking him questions, question after question after question. Right. And he finally, he's, and I would just ask him story after like personal story, like, tell me more, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. And he would just stay we are all cosmic matter made from stardust as we find ourselves aligning with the true consciousness of vast, like, he, which is lovely. It's all, it's awesome. Yeah, but yeah. finally he tells me a story about him and Jackie. O. Whoa. he's like, he, he's like, I invite, cause his stories are about like him and the Beatles. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, my yeah, story Jackson and the no, his stories yeah. are epic. And yeah. he just says it like, yeah. And then, and then John and I were talking and George came in the room. Like that's just, a, <laughs> but he tells me this Cause there's black SUVs everywhere on a tour like that. We're yeah. in a black SUV. And he tells me I invited Jackie O to go some, to go to a, some event with me and I'm on the plane. And right before the door closes, she gets on the plane and everybody on the plane freaks out. Cause Jackie Onassis Kennedy is on the plane and she walks and they all watch her walk back in the plane. He says, she sits down next to me. And she says, everybody's looking at us. You must be quite famous. <laughs> he like tells that story. And then for some reason, that story makes him laugh so hard that he, he bends over laughing and he's crying. He's laughing so hard <laughs> that he's cracked himself up. So in the end, 
I just kept pestering him until he broke himself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's totally trippy. Yeah. Those, are, they're, those are wonderful people and funny and really wise. And yeah, yeah it was just completely surreal. I know that your friendship with Elizabeth Gilbert is, is a kind of become semi-famous mm-hmm. and, and I imagine you two having a good time just enjoying that whole experience together and just that would be fun to watch yeah that's that's like a movie in and of itself right there yeah and the first night the first sound check the first night that's when i met liz was in the lobby of the hotel because it was like be whatever in order to be taken over to the arena for the sound check and i'd never met her and in the lobby we're like hi i'm rob hi i'm liz and we rode so we sort of i was like what have we gotten ourselves into and she's like i have no idea so we sort of (laughs) encountered the whole thing together Right. and just non-stop like <laughs> what in the world it's crazy that's <laughs> crazy i caught a i caught a couple cl- clips of it i was just watching i was curious about what you were going to say because these these audiences were massive and the experience was so yeah, i loved it massive. i yeah. loved it i still i loved it, it was great what's the fun. biggest audience you've ever actually stood on a stage and spoken to one time i spoke at a music festival I had like, whatever, 20 minutes at a music festival in between all these different bands. And I remember when you're speaking to look at the audience, you look from left to right, right, like, and right to left, you're sort of scanning. But I remember as I was speaking, thinking, man, when I move my head from left to right, it takes a while. Like, as I'm speaking, I'm thinking, it takes a while to go back and forth. And I remember saying to the organizer, hey, after speaking, hey, like, how many people, like, how many people was that? Cause it was a huge open air right. thing. And he said, well, he said, I think, I remember, I think he said, well, we sold, I think we sold 120,000 tickets. Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's unbelievable. I have no idea. I'm sure all of that wasn't, the crowd was smaller than that, but I just remember him being like, I think we sold about a hundred. <laughs> have you ever crowd surfed at one of your talks uh, when I was on, band, off the when, stage? When I was in a band, yeah. I've crowd surfed and I've crowd surfed playing the guitar. No kidding. On your back. Just but never speaking, because that who wants to listen to that guy? <laughs> did did this is a this is going way back. Did my buddy Theo, did he ever crowd surf? Did you ever oh, see what him a great go question. Off the stage? I'm sure because Theo joined our band. Yeah. I, mean, I was in a band in college. I'm sure that, that that band was oh yeah, that those shows were glorious. I'm sure <laughs> he did at some point. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Actually, I called him and I I finished reading your book and I called him and I go, dude you're in the book and he goes what and he says you're in rob's book and he goes oh yeah. I, gotta, I gotta pick up a copy <laughs> I, I like, thought about telling him and then i thought nah i'd rather it's cooler if he just hears yeah no he, he was super pleased in fact i called him yesterday i said hey you know I'm, I'm interviewing rob tomorrow i said do you mind if we use some of your music he's been doing some new music and stuff and and uh, he said do you mind if we put because I, I put music throughout the show and stuff like that it's kind of a show show and he's like yeah yeah great yeah you so i'm gonna you're gonna we're gonna go out to oh, Theo's songs yeah it's fantastic i love it He's written some great ones. Oh man, I working down in that basement with him for two and a half years. You know, I'd be sitting on on, a, on the computer just designing stuff, and he'd just be sitting there strumming his guitar. It was one of my favorite things. You know, just sitting yeah. there and listening. He was such Thanks. he was so gifted that way. So one of the better musicians I've ever been around. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, soulful, alive. Mm-hmm. Better isn't the right word. Yeah, vibrant musicians I've ever I've ever known. Your career has gone, you know, you're a writer and when you, you know, you first, you were a pastor and a writer, right? And then you were a filmmaker doing the NUMA stuff. And as you kind of moved out of, you know, formal religious ministry and into kind of 
teaching and spiritual teaching and all this other stuff. But now you're doing creativity, right? You're doing all these workshops and teaching people how to kind of access it within themselves and enhance it inside themselves. Did you see some point where it shifted when you went, this is actually the thing I want to talk about now? Like where you said, creativity is my my jam or, or do you even think of things that way? What a great question. There seems to be seasons. It's only ever worked for me. There was just the next things to make. Mm. There was never a five-year plan. It's never felt like a career. Even the word job, I sort of laugh. (laughs) It was only ever the next few things that arose that was like, make me. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's try that. Mm -hmm. It's literally the only way it's ever worked for me. And when I veered from that, it would never went that well. So I, I, somewhere in there, that just became listening for what, listening for the next thing and the next, the next project, book, idea, talk, whatever it would be. Um, And and if that sounds like oversimplified or almost naive, then I am communicating it correctly. (laughs) Right. Um, I think it probably does to a lot of people, right? A lot of people hear that and it's just, it stresses them out really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, I remember talking to this woman who I think she was in charge of all international tax tax auditing for Billabong, the surf brand, at right. a party. And she, lo- lovely woman, she said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. There's no office. There's no office. You don't have like a staff. No." I said, like, "I don't even have an assistant. There's nobody. Okay, and you just have to come up with stuff right. and make it and figure out how to release it. Yep. And if you don't." N- nothing happens. Correct. Um, and you could, she, she just had like, <laughs> she had like Apple rainbow death wheel. Right. You know what I mean? She yeah. was just melting that she's like, so you're just trusting that there'll be the next things will come to you. Yep. Right. Yeah. Sure. And I remember her saying it. And by then it was so unconsciously normal. I didn't really think about it, but as she was saying it, I was like, Oh yeah, I can see how that would be a little strange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, if, I, I, if you've been doing that for a long time, or if you've been, you know, even for people that are doing design or music or whatever it is, and you forget what it's like to go to work and punch a clock and, and do all that, there is a certain amount of kind of stress release when you just go, oh, there's just a routine and we get a paycheck. But what you're describing sounds like faith. You know what I mean? <laughs> I always talk about this Indiana Jones, you know, the last crusade where he has to step, you know, out into the thing to try and go find the grail so he can save his dad who's gotten shot by the Nazi guy, right? And he's got to step into a, a chasm that looks like completely I'm going to die kind of thing. Yeah. Is that what you just pretty much do every morning? You, you pull in. Well, it's the known and the unknown and the interesting dance between the two, because after a while it's like you do, you, you build up musculature. Right. So work ethic, there's work ethic, but it's the musculature to take the idea and know how to turn it into something. Sure. So I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, I recently did a class called How to Create, and I had written up that material as a book, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait, this isn't a book. This is an interactive experience I take people through. So then I did a two-hour class on it, and I was like, wait, wait, no, it needs to be like a three-hour or like an all-day. I need to give, like, take people through this process of, I think people would write, and I would have them write specific things. So over time, you just get better and better at the idea comes and you try it this way and then you try it that way and then you try it that way and then you tweak it. So I don't know if that, I mean, that could end up like post COVID what started as a book. Then I did it as a two hour class once on zoom that could end up being, I come to your city for a day and we take a day and I take you through a series of experiences that help almost like, well, this is how I see it. Does this help? Um, 
So over time, you do get better and better at knowing, um, and even even the process of okay, there's nine ideas here. Right. Okay, which two should we give our energies to right now? Right. Um, it's way less anxiety. Right. And I notice people will say like, I'm just an ideas person. I just have so many ideas, and then the person always, always, I know what's coming is, but I'm frustrated because I can't finish anything. I was like, right. okay. Um, probably stop calling yourself an ideas person. Let's be somebody who finishes <laughs> ideas. Number two, uh, let's pick. So I, generally what I say to them is uh, imagine all these lovely ideas that you have are seeds that got planted in your backyard. Take a look outside the window into the backyard. Tell me which one has grown the most. Oh, interesting. And what's interesting is as soon as you shift to that image, instantly goes, oh, well, this one idea. Okay, so which, which idea is the farthest along? Like it's probably time to like pull the fruit off that tree or trim the branches. As soon as you move to like a horticulture image, they instantly are like, this is the first one. This is the second one. This is the third one. Okay, great. So what's the next step on the first one to get it done? Oh, I just need to X and Y. Great. So what was an ambiguous hairball of frustration about all these great ideas instantly became three ideas ranked next step on the first one. Um, So some of that's, it's like you have this wild, imaginative, explosive generativity and then you also are building this musculature that knows actually what to do with that right yeah right Um, absolutely so then over time that just gets stronger and more fun have you ever hit like a really significant creative block like where it really debilitating or otherwise or just kept you out of the game for a while uh definitely every six months every six months just lay down clockwork i every summer and every winter i get this Time to stop talking. Time to stop making things. Huh. And I have to like go off the grid. I, I, pic- I picture it like drifting away. Sure. And I generally there's questions about what is it you do? What I know that I, I know that it's I know we're following the sine wave or well when I find myself going, what do I do? That's so weird. What? <laughs> I, I, I look. I'm far enough out that I can look back and see what I do. You have a microphone and you record. Like right. you go on tour and you just people buy a ticket. What? And it's like a rebooting where I have to throw the whole thing up in the air. And do you still want to do this? Right. And then generally, sometime in January, it comes back like the next. Yeah, this took me years to figure out, but now that rhythm is like. Yeah. It's a very strange, I know that I've gotten whatever the re it's like, turn off your computer and all of a sudden everything works better. Um, There's like a weekly Sabbath rhythm, but then there's like a yearly rhythm that has fallen into place over the past 10 years. that I think is really interesting. So if you talk to me like around new year's day, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing this year. I don't have nothing. I got, I got no game. I got no ideas. And you talk to me like January 17th and it's like, I have so many ideas. (laughs) Um, And and that's actually for your listeners. If you really want to find flow, walk away. And the modern world trained people to grasp and cling with, with their very life. If you, if you really want to be productive, then take a day a week and do no email. Don't answer your phone. Rediscover that you're a human being, not a human doing. Get rid of all your to-do lists. Practice a different relationship with time where time isn't measured by what you produce out of it and watch what happens. You will, over the years, start making 10 times as much stuff in a 10th of the time. And the modern world up and to the right, I mean, it's ruining the planet. It doesn't understand rhythm. 
Right. It just fundamentally doesn't understand. And all the, you know, like, will you come work with us? You're always on. Well, that sounds like a spurring to productivity. That's the quickest way sure. to run out of ideas and lose your vitality and get way less done. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that so many people are at their whatever desk working, like yeah, I was working and working. Tell you what, read through everything in your inbox, go take an hour walk and come back to that inbox and you will give significantly different responses. Some of them you may not respond to. Some of them, you're going to have 17 back and forths with that person. But if you took a half hour walk, there's an issue behind the issue that you would get to like that if you actually step back from it. Sure. So this engaged, disengaged, in, out, up close, back up is a rhythm that is at the heart of creation. All of creation is doing this all around you all the time, the right. seasons, day and night. Sure. Um, and yet you have a modern world of an addiction to the upper to the right, expand at all costs, that puts people in fluorescent lighted tile floored offices disconnected from these rhythms and then wonders why mm -hmm. you live in Hawaii. So you know all this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I lived in Alaska, man. We had six months of dark and winter. And I remember yeah. the fluorescent lights thing and ad agencies just designing, you know, oh, just watching my brain just. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it does, it doesn't actually, in the end, do the great work that it's mm -hmm. pushing people to do. Yeah, yeah. I like get another uh, creative question for you. How do you view parenting? as a creative function. You have two kids, right? Or three? Three. Yeah, three three kids. And where is where is all this like this creativity in the teaching? How does that play into you as a parent? Violet is your youngest, yeah? 11-year-old Violet, 20-year-old Preston, 22-year-old Trace. Right. Um, right. Just they're the game, they're just everything. To me that's <laughs> like it's like hanging being with them and then like when I'm not with them, maybe we'll get some stuff done. But, um, right. <laughs> uh, well, I'd say number one, I don't think your first job is to raise your kid. I think your first job is to enjoy your kid because they know it. They know whether you enjoy them or not, especially the kid that's hard to enjoy. <laughs> then you really, then whatever you can find to enjoy is the work. Right. Um, and a lot of things flow from that, but your creating this space where your kid is learning to trust their own deep knowing. So an authoritative structure that says, I'm right, do it this way, may think that it's training the kid or equipping the kid or whatever, but it's actually, I mean, there are certain situations where like, look, this is how you brush your teeth. But yeah. the goal here is that your, your kid is good in their deepest self. And they're learning to trust that deep goodness to guide them. Right. Um, so as opposed to this is what I think, how about, so what are you thinking? What it, sit with it for a second. You tell me, what do you think? Do you want to go out for basketball or not? What do you think? You want to go to this school or that school? You tell us. And I've just seen so many parents who are wondering why their kid is act, whatever. Their kid isn't something they wish their kid was. Right. But the parent's anxiety, the kid is responding to the parent's anxiety. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, to any parent, I'm like, do your work. That's the gift you give your kid. Right. Yeah. Work your stuff out. 
That's the gift you give your kid is you're giving them as little as possible to unlearn. Right. So the space, (laughs) you think about like an architecture, there's two pillars in architecture. And if you have, if you have two pillars, that creates a negative space between them. So you think about like a parent in a home, that parent is creating this space and whatever is present in the parent is in that space. So unresolved anxieties, bitterness, anger, I'll say to the crowd, okay, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and think of how you respond instantly. So I'll say to them, when you were growing up, did you someday want to have a marriage like your parents had? Mm. I've never done that with a crowd that everybody doesn't instantly have an answer. Okay. Question number two, did you have this sense? Did you pick up from your parents that life is an adventure that you get to go on or a trial to be endured? And um, thirdly, Did you have a sense as your parents got older that they got older as they got older or that they were getting younger as they got older? And what's interesting anywhere in the world, I've never done that with any audience where everybody doesn't have instant responses, which I think is fascinating because any parent who ever like, I'm trying to figure out what to teach my kid too late. When you answer those questions, what you demonstrate is that you picked up a whole world of education about how to do it or how not to do right. it. Yeah. But to every parent, I just like, I don't even know if you need to give speeches, honestly. Like your yeah. kid is watching you in traffic. They're watching you how you handle money. They're watching how you handle awkward relationships with extended family. They're, so you might as well just bring them into the whole thing. Right. See. Yeah, yeah. So so they're watching. So hmm. that's like you're, you're teaching the whole time. Right. Huh. So you know, and, and when parents are like, yeah, but I'm all screwed up. What a wonderful gift to give your kid. Hey, okay. you realize that I'm like a total train wreck here. <laughs> I'm, making, um, I'm doing my best here to try to sort this out. The kid's like, mad respect, dad. Yeah. They don't need yeah. you to be perfect or have it figured out. But like the humility of like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure this out. Some days I'm really off. Mm. Um, well, yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to figure it out. Beautiful. What a gift. What a gift. Okay, so last question on creativity. What are you working on right now? Like, what's got you excited right now? Because it's like, because, you know, you did everything spiritual. You did two films of that. You did, you know, which were oh, talks. Yeah. Then you did a book called, are you going to do like a video game or something? Like, are we going to do like a, everything is spiritual video game? Something like that. I don't know. We might, I might tour. I mean, depends on this fall. It doesn't look like it, but if there is a tour, I'll, I'll do an everything is spiritual tour this fall. I got some ideas. Yeah. You come to Maui? I've never spoken in Hawaii. I know. There's a, the, the Maui Cultural Center down here, the arts, arts and Cultural Center would be a perfect spot. They got this outdoor yeah. stage and it's beautiful. and palm I've been writing plays. I just finished my fourth play and the second play we're preparing to stage. And then the first play is going to get staged in uh, Atlanta after COVID. So I really, I love writing these plays. And then I have this band called Humans on the Floor. Tomorrow I'll be in the studio with their mixing the second ep so oh nice something i'm doing all these songs nice. which i just love and then i've been doing these classes i did one called how to tell a story did one called how to create yeah so there's always a number of things and then i got this movie in my head that i just finished a script for so there's always some ideas nice that's awesome <laughs> you just got so many ideas <laughs> are you working with mark smith out there in atlanta yes uh, yeah yes, you know that's exactly that's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. who i was talking to yeah yeah no yeah he's a, he's a good friend he's a, he's a great guy 
So I'm going to ask you a pastor question just because it was funny. I was, I was honestly stuck on what I was going to talk to you about completely, which is weird because, it, it, you know, I've read all of your books um, and, <laughs> and, you know, and I, you've probably encountered this a lot. There were, when people get into Rob Bell books, they're in a certain phase, right? In their life. And if you're in a certain kind of awakening, like, you know, Velvet Elvis, like when I read it, it was the book I needed at the time that I needed it. Right. I remember Don Miller's Blue Light Jazz was like that for me. And that was the same kind of thing. Like I needed that at that time. And then it, for me personally, my spiritual walk kind of followed somewhat weirdly along with the, the, the progress of your books, you know? So like by the time you had Love Wins, I remember Theo had actually gone up and seen you in Michigan and he'd come back and he goes, yeah, he's working on some book. He said, it's going to kind of go crazy. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He's, I thought he's already controversial. And he's <laughs> he was like, no, I guess if this is going to be like blow the whole thing open, you know? Anyway, it's, it's, I've kind of followed along to this kind of certain extent. And so I've found that now I've arrived at this place where I read everything is spiritual. And I was also kind of like, wow, that's, that's kind of like it felt somewhat completed, you know, I don't know, weirdly yeah. in terms of the, my Rob Bell path or whatever. And that's kind of a weird way to say it. But I got a friend who's in prison and he's in prison for a long time and he is working through despair. And he's mm -hmm. been in for, he's been in for a couple of years now and he started reading your books and he, he, I got a letter from him just yesterday and he was asking about it. Actually, <laughs> I was wondering if you'd be willing to do a buddy a favor. There's a guy I've met in here. Who's a fan of Rob Bell. He's read every book I own in here. What is the Bible? What we talk about when we talk about God and everything is spiritual. I told him about your podcast with Rob. He asked if it was possible to get a transcript. And I said, yeah, so I'm going to try and get him this transcript. But then he goes on to ask about like, I don't think there's any chance that I will ever see anything beyond this mm. despairing outlook. And I was, mm -hmm. and I didn't really know, I don't, maybe I don't have the right words to try and help him understand that even in, because I'm not there, right. I'm not in prison. Even in prison, you can find joy and you can find it. But you know, because I'm not, I haven't been there. It sounds kind of hollow when I say it, you know what I mean? What would you say to someone like that? Who is trying to just find some string of hope? Man, how do you how do you talk to a guy like that? Well, I wouldn't pretend to understand what he's going through. And I would begin with if you're in prison for a long time, it seems like despair would be a very natural, normal human response. So any like judgment or shame or why am I feeling this despair? Because uh, you're human. Right. And what's also interesting about despair is this is somebody who's not numbing. They're actually feeling it. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, the sooner you give it its full expression, like you let it all out, whatever it is, mm -hmm. despair, anger, helplessness, impotence, the sooner you almost like dive all the way down to the bottom of the pool. Right. That's how you begin to see possibilities you may not have seen before. Right. So yeah. I can only, you think about Nelson Mandela, who's in prison, who's like, wait, this is not the direction we want to be going. Right. But then he and his friends are like, well, what are we going to do with this? Right. And they get really like resilient, like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be educate ourselves. And when we go out, when we get out of here, we're going to get out of here, like ready to go. Right. I was just talking to a gentleman in Colorado who served time because he was a CEO and all kinds of stuff went on under his watch and he served time in prison. And the whole rest of his life is being shaped by what he experienced and what he saw and a whole world he didn't know existed that he's now like, I'm going to use everything I have to help. Right. And so I would say to this friend, like at the beginning of the book of Genesis, it's all void, unknown, chaos, and spirit enters into all that. 
and out of it wants to make something new. So is it what new thing is waiting to be birthed? Education, some skill, some craft, you know what I mean? Like, what is it that when you are released? Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would start asking quite that, that which is deepest within you is good. So let's mm-hmm. listen. Mm-hmm. What is some vision for the next 10 years that might actually sustain you? Yeah. But anybody who tells, well, just, you know, just trust or just be... Uh, that's nice, but like, you right. know what I mean? All the cliches, I would just, let's just, let's get through all the cliches and the platitudes and all the nice pithy sayings. Like, oh, this is very difficult. Yeah. Mm. Well, there you go, Andy, if you're listening. Yeah. Is it Andy? Yeah. Mm. He's a good kid. He's love, Andy. Yeah. That's it, man. That's that's what Great. I got. That's what I got. I, you know, it's funny. I told my brother, I was like, man, you know, it's funny. You guys all know Rob. I never, I never got to meet Rob. Freaking Steve Zakawani got to meet Rob, and I haven't met Rob. And he's like, he's like, I said, you know what I'll do? I'm going to do a podcast, and I'll ask it, and then I get Rob to come on the podcast. And he comes back with, yeah, Rob said he'd go on, but he's going to be guest number 25. And I was like, that's the most Rob Bell thing I've ever heard. And he was like, I know. So I was like, no, I guess I got to do 25 episodes of, of my podcast. And <laughs> Yeah, I'm it's honored. Been a, it's been a kick in the pants, actually. It's been really, really, really fun. So Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So Rob, thank you for taking the time. Really, really appreciate it. Great talking with you. Yeah, it's great time with you. And seriously, like if you ever come to Maui, you know, Good. let's go surfing. Let's just at least get dinner, huh? Love it. Cool. Excellent. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. The Voyagers podcast is produced by Sugar Sled Productions in Kula on the island of Maui. It's hosted, written, created, edited, and distributed by me, David Glenn Taylor. It's not bad for one guy. I think I can finally say that. For those of you who want to learn more about Rob and his work, you can find everything you need to know at robbell.com. His books, films, and tour dates are all there. Rob's work touches at the deepest part of the human experience. I encourage you, if you are seeking to find peace and joy and love, basically all the good stuff of life, and you need a little direction, just pop over to robbell.com, check it out. Even sign up for a class. You won't regret it. Also, you can check out the music of our mutual friend Theo Bremer-Bennett on iTunes or Spotify, or you can find him on Facebook. Theo, thank you for lending us your tunes, my friend. We appreciate your talent and your generosity, sir. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. It's really appreciated. Like I mentioned, this is the final episode of Season 2, and I'm taking a few months to work on some new creative projects. I'll be back at the end of the summer with a whole new season. New guests, new ideas, same beautiful island. So, for the last time for a little bit, Mahalo for listening, friends. It has been an honor. I'll see you soon.